Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code relevant radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A terrific Tuesday to you. Welcome to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. So glad to be with you. Why don't you give me a call? 888-914-914. 9149. It's a toll-free studio line to call me for free. 888-914-9149. You can also email the program. It's great to hear from you. Thank you guys so much. I've gotten a lot of prayer requests that you guys have sent me. We're doing this novena to St. Joseph's. Not St. Joseph's, but St. Joseph. And uh, uh, St. Joseph's is my parish, so I, I get very confused easily. And I got confused yesterday. I forgot to pray the novena. I, I completely botched it, so I'll make it up to you. Now, I prayed it on my own, so I'm still good. I've still kept the streak intact, but that didn't help you very much. So we're going to pray it together uh, in just a moment. We will start off with that to make sure I don't forget. But I did ask you guys, if you wanted to, send in your prayer request to me, and I will pray for you during this novena to St. Joseph. And you can do that by emailing me. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at... Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We've got so much great stuff for you in the show coming up. We're going to talk about Master and Commander, the 20th anniversary, why that's important. Even if you've never seen this movie, it doesn't matter. It is so relevant. I, and I, I uh, yesterday we were talking about Seinfeld, and somebody tweeted at me, and they were like, why are you talking about a 30-year-old sitcom? Because it's great stuff. They don't make them like that anymore. But and if you didn't like yesterday's show, you're really not going to like tonight's show later on because we are going to talk about a 20-year-old movie. But it is super fresh, uh, even to this day, Master and Commander. And it's kind of a cult classic, and people are talking about it right now. It's gone viral because of the 20th anniversary, and so many guys and gals love it. I think it's for a couple of reasons. People have a longing for a mission and a purpose that's greater than themselves and a craving for authentic friendships. And that's really what this movie is all about. We're going to talk about that later in the program. But first, I do want to get to the Novena to St. Joseph. So let's pray it together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is day five of the Novena, of course, the feast day of St. Joseph on the 19th of March. It's going to be commuted to the 20th because the 19th is on a Sunday this year. But let's pray it together. To you, blessed Joseph, we come with confidence in this, our hour of need, trusting in your powerful protection, your loving service to the Immaculate Virgin Mother of God, and your fatherly affection for the child Jesus. Inspire us with faith in the power of your intercession before the throne of God. We pray first of all for the church, that it may be free from error and corruption and be a shining light of universal love and justice. We ask your intercession for our loved ones in their trials and adversities, that they may be inspired by the love, obedience, and affection of the Holy Family and be to each other a mutual source of consolation and Christian fidelity. We ask your intercession also for our special needs. You can just take a moment to pray for your particular special intention right now. 
and to keep us all under your protection so that strengthened by your example and assistance, we may lead a holy life, die a happy death, and come to the possession of everlasting happiness in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And a lot of you have reached out to me and asked me, where did you get that prayer? And can I have a copy? Is there a link to this? Well, actually, I got it at my local parish. They were handing it out, and people were praying it together. So it was printed off, and I sent it uh, to Jim Shaper, Patrick Alog, and they are busy scouring the internet. We're going to try to find a link to this, and we will uh, put it in the show notes uh, for this episode in podcast form when it comes out. Uh, it should be out a few minutes after the show. You can go to relevantradio.com or the app to share it, download the podcast. Well, another thing that we are doing uh, here in Lent is, of course, we're looking at the concept of remembering our death, memento mori, which sounds kind of morbid, but it's actually not. This is a, a way to live really, really well. This is a great Lenten devotional by Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. And some of you guys have emailed me, and again, you can do the same. Uh, the address is kale at relevantradio.com, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. I got an email uh, just the other day saying, which Teresa wrote this? Was it Teresa of Avila? It's actually a living nun, <laughs> uh, a saint in the making, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. She's one of the daughters of St. Paul. Yeah, I should definitely read stuff by the other Teresas as well. Uh, the Little Flowers, St. Therese of Lisieux, of course, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, always great too. And she's a great devotee of St. Joseph, did so much to spread devotion to him. But this is a little Lenten devotional, kind of an entry for every day of Lent, based off of the scriptures. And we are in the third week of Lent now. And today's gospel, of course, comes to us from Matthew chapter 18, and it contains that famous saying by Jesus, how, how, how many times should you forgive your brother or sister? Seventy times seven. So just for a little context, I think it's a good thing to read the whole gospel selection from today. And Sister Teresa has a really interesting entry on this. But again, this comes to us from Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. It says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions in payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive 
your brother or sister from your heart. So this is really important. And this is part of the section in Matthew's gospel that's really kind of a a discourse. There's five major teaching sections in Matthew corresponding to the five books of Moses. Jesus is a much greater Moses. We've been talking about Moses a lot on the Faith Explained show. And tomorrow, if you tune in, we're going to talk about the infamous, the notorious golden calf incident. Moses is up on the mountain and the Israelites take advantage of the cat being away, as it were, and they get into some serious sin with the golden calf. Uh, That's tomorrow on The Faith Explained, 1230 Central. But Jesus is a new Moses, and there are five major teaching blocks of material from Jesus corresponding to the five books of Moses in Matthew's Gospel. And this one is on community life. It's on church life. How do we live together as disciples of Jesus? And of course, Peter asks this question about forgiveness, and that gives Jesus the opportunity to launch into this teaching parable about the wicked and unforgiving servant. But the the original question by Peter, hey, if if somebody else, another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And he thinks that's obviously very magnanimous. And so where, where does this number, by the way, come from, this idea of seven? Well, we know about the seven sacraments, seven being a biblical number of completeness, perfection, if it will, if you will. And so we can think about the book of Genesis where Cain is protected by, after Cain kills Abel, uh, he, Cain is terrified that he's going to be hunted down and vengeance will be taken upon him. But God says to him, whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance, which seems like the perfect vengeance. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14, it talks about this, before the mercy seat, and this is, of course, in the Holy of Holies, Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all that stuff. We've been dealing with that on the Exodus program as well, on the Faith Explained. It says, before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Leviticus 26, 18, I will continue to punish you sevenfold for your sins. Proverbs 24:16 though they fall seven times they will rise again. So all of this is in the background. And these are all scriptures of course that Peter would have known from the synagogue about seven and, and vengeance, forgiveness, the mercy of God. He thinks that's a pretty big deal if he can forgive seven times. But Jesus says no, it's got to be 77 times. There's it's rendered in, in different ways, 70 times 7 or 77 times. It's a lot. And and the point of it is not to do pull out your calculator and, and figure out what the number is. Oh, once I've reached this number, then I can stop forgiving. No, it's really unlimited forgiveness if, of course, provided people repent. And, and this is the deal. And provided we forgive each other as well. And that's really the point of Jesus' parable about the unforgiving servant. Jesus says, if my heavenly father will also do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So this idea of of 77, another place where where this might come from, and it might be in the background here, is in Genesis chapter 4, it talks about the sort of the wicked descendants of Cain, the the evil line of Cain, and it kind of reaches its nadir, the, the... the worst of the worst with this guy Lamech, who is just a real piece of work. He kills a kid for no reason. He's just a brutal guy. And it says, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. So this is, he's a really, really, this is the worst of the worst. And Jesus says, 
forgiveness is the best of the best, and this is what you need to do. So the reason why Jesus tells this parable of this unforgiving servant is to warn everybody in the church, both in his day and in our day, that if you're going to be part of his community, if you're going to be his disciple, we've got to be willing to forgive one another. And if we can't, if we're not willing to do it, if we're not, God will help us to do it, but if we're not willing to do it, if we're not willing to forgive our brother or our sister who are fellow sinners just like us, we have our faults too, if we can't forgive our fellow sinners, then why should we think that God, who is perfect and sinless, will be willing to forgive us? He, but he does want to, and he, want, he, he commands us to forgive each other. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So all this is kind of in the background. And Sister Teresa, uh, in her Lenten devotional Memento Mori, remember your death, says this. She says, quote, people can be irritating. They can be offensive. They can be abusive, downright intolerable. And all of us have been affected by another person's inappropriate or even evil behavior. So we can really relate to Peter's question here. And Peter asks Jesus how many times, and Jesus, of course, responds. And so Sister Teresa says that we can really misunderstand, though, what Jesus says about forgiveness and repeated forgiveness. He's not saying, he's not imparting easily dismissed pop psychology platitudes. He's not suggesting that we just continue on and keep allowing abusers to keep harming us. Oh, we'll just keep forgiving. We'll just keep taking the abuse. She says this, quote, We do not have to act as doormats or pretend that we don't have needs. Jesus wants us to love ourselves as he loves us. This is hard for people to do. I'm just going to interject here for a second. It's hard for people to do. We have to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, with everything we've got, everything we have and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We do have to love ourselves. That is part of it. And for a lot of people, that's incredibly difficult. But, G but here's what she says. She says, quote, Instead, with his injunction to forgive always, Jesus points to the deeper reality of the Trinity. Relationship is key to the spiritual life because God is three persons. The Trinity, a unity, a unified, dynamic relationship is the source of all other life. Relationship, therefore, is life. And rupture in relationship is death. End of quote. That's a really unique take. That's a really unique take because God is relationship. He is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this eternal exchange of love. The fact of the matter is that relationship is life. God is life and God is relationship. So, if there is a rupture in relationship, whether it's our relationship with God or relationship with one another, it brings about big problems, even spiritual death. But Sister Teresa also says this, quote, human relationships and connections are not divine. That's the difference. That's the difference between what's going on in the Trinity and the relationship between the divine persons and what's going on in our own human relationships because of the fact that we are sinners. We can't expect perfection from the other. We don't reflect always the dignity of being created in the image of God. Broken people, there's going to be broken relationships. So that's that's part of the deal. So we do have to do one thing though, and that is to forgive. And it's not always possible. She says this, it's not always possible to repair relationships with other people. 
But as far as it depends on us, we, we've got to at least try. And if, if it's not possible to repair the relationship on a human level, at the very least, it sets us right with God. Because if we don't forgive others, our own sins can't be forgiven. Jesus says that. So this, this is where the memento mori part comes in, the remembering our death. How does this factor in? She says, quote, remembrance of death can motivate us to allow God to clear grudges, clear our anger, clear our desire for retaliation from our souls. Since we may die at any time, we must search our hearts daily to root out unforgiveness, end of quote. So she suggests receiving the sacraments as often as possible. That helps us to get grace from God, and that'll help to purify our hearts and, and clear out this unforgiveness that can linger at times. And so she, she kind of closes with this quote from... It's really a, an incident that happened in the life of St. Philip Neri. And, and St. Philip Neri, who of course founded the, the Oratory, uh, the Oratorian Fathers, and he was known as a saint of, uh, a saint of mirth. Scent of mirth, too, I guess. You know, the, the whiff of humor was around him all the time. But, but he, he was a really funny guy. He loved jokes. He loved humor. But this particular incident, there was no laughing matter involved. And here, here's what, what happened here. It says that a young man who had been under St. Philip Neri's direction, he was kind of his spiritual director, but, but not for that long. And by the way, this is from uh, Pietro Giacomo Bacci's work called The Life of St. Philip Neri. So this young man, he'd been kind of spiritually directed by St. Philip Neri, and he just couldn't forgive this person who had hurt him. And so, quote, here's what happened. Philip did all he could to induce the youth to forgive, but his heart seemed only to harden more. And one day, finding no other means that worked, Philip took up a crucifix and said to the young man with great fervor, look at this and think how much blood our Lord has shed for love of you. And he not only pardoned his enemies, but prayed that the eternal father would pardon them also. Do you not see, my poor child, that every day when you say the Our Father, instead of asking pardon for your sins, you are calling down vengeance upon yourself. And then he told the young man to kneel down at the foot of the crucifix, and he told him to repeat a prayer after him. And, and St. Philip Neri magnified the hardness and obstinate heart that this young guy had. He showed him what a grievous sin he was committing. And so the young man knelt down. He tried to pray this prayer. He tried to pronounce forgiveness, but he just couldn't do it. He couldn't get the words out. And he just stayed there for a long time. But at long last, he got up and he said, Here I am, Father. I'm finally ready to obey you. I pardon every injury I have ever received. So that's a, an, an anecdote from the life of St. Philip Neri. And so St. Philip really wanted this young guy to, to understand that if he persisted in this unforgiveness, there could be eternal consequences for him. So it's not about feeling. It doesn't mean having warm, fuzzy feelings for the person who has offended us, but we've got to give it to God. We, we absolutely have to. And uh, one of the things that she suggests to do is kind of a little exercise, St. Teresa. So she's not saint yet, but you know, God willing, she will be. But Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, she says, why don't you do this? If you have a list of people that you need to forgive, make your list, write, write them down on a piece of paper, and then burn the list. Be careful, though, of course, uh, adult supervision required. I don't want you to burn down your house or anything, but 
controlled burn here, burn that list. And it's kind of a, a visual sensory reminder of you've got to let it go. You, you just got to give it over to God. And as you're doing that, say these people's names. I forgive so-and-so in, in the grace of Jesus Christ. It might be something to try. It might be an exercise that, that, that may work. But it is difficult. Nobody, nobody would ever say that it's not. Uh, but we do need the help of God. And really, that's what today's gospel is all about. We're going to be right back on the K.O. Clark Show with so much more. Why don't you call in right now, one 914 Be right back. so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free, 888-914-9149. If you want to have a take on anything we were talking about in the first little section of the show, or maybe there's another question on your mind. 888-914-9149. Patrick Alog will be the friendly voice on the other end of that line. He will take your call. And by the way, Patrick Alog wanted me to remind all of you, and he was right to do this, to remind me, to remind you, that the Novena to St. Joseph, and we prayed that off the top of the show, it's day five of the Novena to St. Joseph. We call him the head of relevant radio uh, here. Uh, he's really important to us and has gotten us out of a lot of jams, a lot of jams over the years, and he will do the same for you. Uh, you can go to the Relevant Radio app to access the Novena to St. Joseph. So it's in the prayer section there. Another great reason to download the free Relevant Radio app. Let's go to the phones right now. Patricia is on the line from Garland, Texas. Hi, Patricia. Hi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It, good afternoon. Good to talk it's to you. wonderful to talk with you. Likewise. I love your program. Love your programs. Uh, yes, I wanted to tell you, that there was a recommendation, I don't know, about a week or a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. about getting rid of the hiccups. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I tried it, uh, breathing through your nose, three, taking breaths through your nose three times and holding it for a little bit and then letting go, and it worked. Great. Oh, I'm happy to hear that it worked. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. Yeah, we were looking at... <laughs> Uh, The recommendation from uh, a really popular podcaster, Dr. Andrew Huberman, the Huberman Lab. He's got some great, great stuff. And he says, this is how you get rid of hiccups. And uh, I I gave it to you guys. I said, let me know if it works. And your mileage may vary. But obviously, it does work. And Patricia, I'm so glad that it it did for you because, man, I sure could have used that when I was a kid. I used to get them all the time. (laughs) I still do. I still do. So thank you very much for that information. Oh, you're welcome. It's so sweet of you to call. I really appreciate the call, and thank you so much for listening. That was Patricia in Garland, Texas. Oh, that's so nice. And if you want to call in as well, here's the number, 888-914-9149. Well, the Oscars obviously happened this past Sunday night, and a movie that really should have won maybe more Oscars when it came out, but it didn't because it came out the same year as... 
The Return of the King, one of the Lord of the Rings movies, which which won quite a few Oscars that year. 20 years ago, Master and Commander came out. Great movie starring Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany. Here is a clip from the trailer. An act of war will cripple them. With basic repairs, we can get home as we are. We're not going home. The power of nature will threaten them. Our enemy has more than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers, and we are supposed to stop them. Torn between fulfilling his duty. Captain's not called Lucky Jack for no reason. Phantom or no, Lucky Jack, I love And the lives of the men he commands. Steady! He must face the invincible. He fights like you, Jack. A hunter becomes the hunted. Well then, there's not a moment to lose. Two feet six inches, sir. The men would follow you anywhere. As a friend, I would say that we should have turned back weeks ago. It's leadership they want. Strength. Find that within yourself, and you will earn their respect. Earn their respect. I hope to earn your respect on the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. So Master and Commander was a film that was really adopted from a series of novels by this guy, Patrick O'Brien. It was directed by Peter Weir, famous director, and of course, Russell Crowe stars as Captain Jack Aubrey. He's the captain of HMS, His Majesty's Ship, Surprise. That is, and it's certainly, if you know, if you've seen the film, you know there is a big surprise at the end. Paul Bettany is also in the movie, and... He's probably more well-known in recent times as being Vision, as playing Vision, one of the Marvel characters in WandaVision, also the Avengers films. But in this film, uh, Paul Bettany plays Dr. Stephen Maturin, who is the ship's physician, onboard doctor. He's also a bit of a naturalist, a botanist, if you will. And the interplay between these two characters is is really important in in the movie. I'm going to get into that in just a second. But the reason why this has kind of come back into the public consciousness uh, over the last few days is that it's the 20th anniversary of the film, and GQ Magazine published a piece that got a lot of people talking. And in GQ Magazine, the question was asked, why is it that a certain kind of guy really likes this movie? How men who are in their middle entering middle age, they, they, they just love this movie because it's all about guys who are working together as friends, as comrades, and they're, they have a, a mission. They have a, a dangerous and worthwhile tasks that, that they're willing to really give their life for. And I think there's more to it than that. And by the way, just, just reading some comments on Twitter about this, a, a lot of ladies love this film too, and not just because Russell Crowe's in it, but they're like, hey, well, I like this movie as well. Uh, some people think it's kind of a Star Trek movie on the open seas, and it kind of is around the time of Napoleon, the, the Napoleonic Wars, 1805 is, is uh, the year that it's set in. And uh, Michael Brendan Doherty wrote a piece about it as well uh, for National Review, and, and, and he says this, this, this interplay, a, a lot of the, the reason why the movie's interesting is that there's this interplay between Russell Crowe's character, Captain Jack Aubrey, and the ship's doctor, played by Paul Bettany. And he says they're matched up like two sides of the 19th century because Russell's Crow, Russell Crowe's character is defined by these great passions. And, and he's really, really adhering to tradition. Paul Bettany is kind of this brainy skeptic, and they have these debates that happen all throughout the movie, and they're always talking to each other. They're friends. They kind of go back a ways, but but obviously, as the ship's doctor, 
Stephen Maturin, played by Paul Bettany, he kind of has to be subjugated to Russell Crowe's leadership, but but he does question it at times. And then it, they'll have these jam sessions at night. I mean, they're sailing the open seas. There are all these enemy ships that are out there. But at night, it's kind of cool. They have these jam sessions, and if it were today, they might, I don't know, pull out their electric guitars, their fenders, or whatever. But uh, instead, uh, Aubrey, Captain Aubrey, plays the violin. Dr. Maturin plays the cello. And they, they just kind of rock out, as it were. But but again, they, they really have this interesting relationship, this interesting friendship that's really based on virtue. And they have these great philosophical conversations. So here's one of the kind of arguments that they had on the ship. Check this out. You see, I'm rather understanding of mutineers. Men pressed from their homes, their chosen occupations, confined for months aboard a wooden prison. Stephen, I profoundly respect your right to disagree with me here in this cabin, but I can only afford one rebel on this ship. I hate it when you talk at the surface in this way. It makes me so very low. Do you think I want to flog Nagel? A man who stood beside me on the gunnel and hacked the ropes and sent his mate to his death under orders. Under my orders. Do you not see it? The only things that keep this little wooden world together are hard work, discipline. Jack, the man failed to salute. For God's sake, Stephen, there's hierarchies even in nature, as you've often said yourself. There is no disdain in nature. There is no humiliation. Men must be governed. Often not wisely, I'll grant you, but they must be governed nonetheless. That's the excuse of every tyrant in history, from Nero to Bonaparte. And I, for one, am opposed to authority. Your opposition is, is not my concern. Misery and oppression. You've come to the wrong shop for anarchy, brother. All right, so men must be governed. So when the movie came out, the New York Times film critic A.O. Scott said this, quote, The Napoleonic Wars that followed the French Revolution gave birth, among other things, to British conservatism. And master and commander, making no concessions to modern egalitarian sensibilities, is among the most thoroughly and proudly conservative movies ever made. It imagines the HMS surprise that's the ship, of course, as a coherent society in which stability is underwritten by custom and every man knows his duty and his place. I would not have been surprised to see Edmund Burke's name in the credits, end of quote. It's true that the ship is a society unto itself and everybody's got their role and everybody's got their part to play. And as Michael Brandon Doherty says in writing about this movie, he says the film takes the view of the ship's own sailors that God's blessings and good luck follow those who fulfill the roles that providence has bestowed on them. And here's, here's a clip from the rousing inspirational speech of Captain uh, Jack Aubrey just before the climactic battle. Check this out. All right, lads. Now, I know there's not a faint heart among you. And I know you're as anxious as I am to get into close action. We must bring him right up beside us before we spring this trap. That will test our nerve. And discipline will count just as much as courage. The Acheron is a tough nut to crack. More than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers. And they will sell their lives dearly. They mean to take us as a prize. <laughs> and we are worth more to them undamaged. Their greed will be their downfall. England is under threat of invasion. And though we be on the far side of the world, this ship is our home. This ship is England. So it's every hand to his rope or gun, quicks the word and sharps the action. After all, surprise is on our side. <laughs> uh, all 
right. I, I watched it last night. I, I stayed up too late watching it, but uh, I wanted to be fresh in my mind. And, and it's it's interesting. This, this is the idea that he says the ship. This ship is England. So society is kind of shrunk down. The entire culture is on that ship. It's interesting that uh, Michael Brennan Doherty writes, "Quote: The world of master and commander is one where everyone has a purpose and a place." In a great enterprise, the ship is an emblem of the whole world and a mission coterminous with salvation. We perish alone, but we survive as a hardy crew. The medals and the rank advancements that we win as individuals make sense only as duties performed and responsibilities taken on for others. End of quote. So, yeah, we could actually say this movie speaks to, to much greater themes than even that. And I think it really has a lot to say about the mission of the church as well. And I think this is why it's so popular among people even today, because people are craving these things. They're craving a a mission, a vision, a purpose greater than themselves. And I think they're also craving friendships that are based on virtue rather than based on vice, as we see all too often in this friendship between the ship's doctor and Captain Aubrey really exemplifies that in the movie. It's a classic. It's it's often an overlooked classic, but it's got a cult following and people are really talking about it these days. But I want to talk about these themes as they pertain to our mission in the church. After this break, it's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Tally Ho, we'll be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. We were just talking about the film Master and Commander, 20th anniversary this year, and how it really is inspiring to a lot of people. A lot of people are looking for a cause greater than themselves. They're looking for authentic friendships. I think that's really the key to this movie. And uh, during the break, producer Jim and I were talking about it, and he said, I think I'll watch this movie with my son, Sebastian. And I said, don't worry, there's no, there's no inappropriate content in the film um there's there's a couple of tough things to watch because there are some child sailors on on the on the boat who get involved in some of the fighting and and there's a flogging scene there's actually a lot of biblical inferences uh in the film there's the the concept of the jonah a lot of these guys are super superstitious back then and they had this idea that if something was going bad on the boat there must be a jonah who needs to be thrown overboard and I won't tell you what happens. You'll just have to watch the movie. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's it's nothing you need to be uh, concerned about from a other than you know the usual fighting and stuff like that. But uh, um, yeah, I was going to tell another story, but I, but I won't. So don't don't worry. And Jim was asking me, is it is it like the Godfather? Can I show this to my kid? By the way, I'm, I'm becoming a Godfather again. I have a lot of Godchildren and. Uh, Thank God for them. And my brother-in-law, Greg, and his wife just welcomed a baby boy yesterday. His name is Andrew. And he, uh, Greg asked me to be the godfather. So I said, well, I'll, I'll try to... And he said, hey, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for you to get some godfather puns in there, too, which I, I love my puns, as you know. And I said, well, I'll work on my best Don Corleone impersonation. He said, well, you could actually be Don Caleorni. And that is uh, super corny. But anyways, let's, uh, let's get back to why... Uh, what what are some of the bigger themes in Master and Commander that really help us to think about a life well-lived? Well, obviously this movie takes place during the Napoleonic Wars. 
after the French Revolution. And speaking of Napoleon, uh, he once said this. It's a great line. Napoleon once said, China is a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it'll be unstoppable. And what Napoleon said about the about China is kind of how I feel about the Catholic Church. If we were all functional in the faith, if we were all living out our baptismal call to holiness and apostolate, sharing our faith, and that's really what apostolate really means, the work of the apostles, um, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we were really functional in this call to be saints, holiness and apostolate, becoming a saint and helping others to become saints, that's apostolate, imagine the impact that we would have. And there, there are a lot of reasons why we're not as effective as we should be as church, that's for sure. And if you have any thoughts on this, you can call in 888-914-9149. Way too many reasons why we've arrived at this point. But one thing I want to highlight to you, and you may not know this, but the reality is that the Catholic Church is functionally bleeding people all the time. And when you live in a big city, if you're living in Chicago, if you're living in Los Angeles, if you're living in New York City, and we reach all of those places, Dallas, Fort Worth, some of the big urban centers in the world, Houston, Texas, and even in my city of Toronto, the churches are packed all the time. And in my city, there's over 6 million people, over 1 million Catholics just in the, in the Toronto area. And so if you go to any parish on a Sunday, it's going to be full for most mass times. So we kind of get into this false sense of security. We get lulled into how bad, not realizing how bad the situation really is. In a lot of smaller towns and cities, churches are dying on the vine. A lot of parishes are just really, really uh, having a bad time. And there's a, a recent study by the highly respected Pew Research Forum, which came up with the, the data that for every one person who is received into the Catholic Church in the United States, Easter Vigil, let's say, 6.5 people leave the church for every one that's coming in. That, that's, not, that's not very good. And, and they're not necessarily formally leaving the church. They're not writing a letter to their bishop saying, I am leaving the Catholic Church. Take me off your, your registry or whatever. No, they're not doing that. They're just functionally leaving. They've just stopped practicing their faith. So one of our most important jobs, and maybe something you could think about doing this Lent, is how can I bring my friends and family who have left the church back into the fold? Just like the tide coming in and out, there are times in life when we're more open to the work of the Holy Spirit. We're more open to spiritual things. And I find that Lent is just naturally one of those seasons where that is the case. So maybe you can get a friend or family member to come to you, come with you for a, to a night of confession at a parish or, or something like that, or, or come back to Mass. So if we could just reach our brothers and sisters who are not practicing, that, that's, a, that's a great, great thing. That's a really great, great thing. And that's why the new evangelization, the so-called new evangelization that John Paul II talked about. And by the way, he didn't coin that phrase. It wasn't JP II who coined the phrase, the new evangelization. It was Pope Paul VI. But he said it, JP II said it, Benedict said it, uh, Pope Francis is saying it as well, this new evangelization. And really what that is, it's a re-evangelization of all the baptized. And, and so that, that's a huge, huge thing to consider. It's not just uh, non-Catholics or non-Christians that we need to reach, but it's even baptized Catholics who have fallen away. And there's, there's so many reasons for that. But I think we can always take our cues from the church in the first century. I, I think this is the classic Christian generation. I mean, this, this, is, this, this is 
this is the church at the source here. How, how did they do it? How did they do it? Well, we have to remember that at that point, the church was under really intense persecution in the empire. For the first three centuries, really, of her existence, they, they didn't have relevant radio. They didn't have open-air papal masses. You couldn't just invite people to, to come to a parish because the church had no public property. And masses were only for the initiated. They're all taking place in house churches. And they were held often in strict secrecy because people were afraid of spies would turn them over to the authorities. They were deep within the catacombs at the tombs of the martyrs. But they were super successful in their mission, despite not having the internet, despite not having uh, television, newspapers, radio, anything. The church grew at a rate of 40% per decade in the early centuries. And soon there were so many believers that a letter in the second century could say this, and this is called the letter to Diognetus. And it's a famous early church document. And here's what it says. It says, quote, Christians are indistinguishable from other people, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. That's, that's a good point. I'm just going to stop right there. This isn't self-help teaching. This isn't something you can discover in your local library or online. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. In other words, they look like everybody else. They fit into society. They're not weird. They're not living in a commune outside of town. And it says this, Yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. And by that they mean they don't leave their children to die, their newborn children, by the side of the road, which happened, of course, in the first century in the Roman Empire. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, they yet live on a level that transcends the law. End of quote. So that's just a, a really amazing letter and a great testimony to the early believers, the letter to Diognetus. And it goes on to say that, the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. As the soul is present in every part of the body, Christians are found in all the cities of the world, but cannot be identified with the world. It's just a, a beautiful thing. And, and we too live, as St. Paul says, really in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. Only the technology seems to have changed. There's lots of sin that proliferates. Human life is cheap. And the answer to our problems is still the same as it was in the beginning. It's Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says that. And so God is still the same. He's still working with us. And I think our methodology should be the same as the early Christians too. We, we need to have these powerful friendships of trust. And we need to, to get people in on our mission. We need to get them into the boat of the church. You know, just like the HMS Surprise, Master and Commander, we have the Bark of Peter. That's a much better ship. It's much more seaworthy. It's, it's, it'll traverse the centuries. And 
Recently, a priest described, and I think, I think this really kind of factors into why so many guys like this movie in particular. Recently, a priest talked about how, how men in particular are suffering in our society. He called it, he said they're suffering from something called FDD, Friendship Deficit Disorder. I think we kind of all know this, and, and you guys kind of know what I'm talking about here. A lot of guys have friends, but they're a little more than acquaintances. They're friends from work, the guys we play hockey with or play pickup basketball with, the guys that we watch football with. And sadly, for a lot of guys, they're friends that they pursue vice with. They, they go out drinking with and chasing women, not, not for the purposes of marriage, but for the wrong kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about. But very few men have a friend who they can really trust, who they can really open themselves up to. And they, they may have thousands of so-called friends on social media, let's say, but Nobody that they can really uh, rely on or trust if they have a problem or if they need help in their marriage or, or advice regarding a tough situation. And, and you can be, like if, you, if you're a Catholic guy listening to the show right now, you have to understand that you can be that guy for your friends. You can really be that friend who pushes you towards virtue instead of vice. And those are the kinds of friends that we all need. Those are the kinds of friends that we all need. And so the way to do that for your friends is really through what I call PSA, prayer, sacrifice, and action. <laughs> a lot of guys have to take a PSA test every now and again. That's not what I'm talking about. Prayer, sacrifice, and action. That's what it's all about. That's what St. Jose Maria said. He said, first of all, you've got to pray. You've got to pray for your friends. First prayer, that's the P part. Then sacrifice, sacrifice. You've got to make some spiritual sacrifices for them. And then the third place, but very much in the third place, action. So P-S-A, prayer, sacrifice, action. That comes from uh, his book of spiritual maxims called The Way, point 82. And so this is what we've got to do. We've got to pray for our friends. We've got to talk to God about them more than we talk to them about God. It's got to be much more. And uh, the sacrifice, we've got to do that. This is mortification, really. It's the prayer of the body. We can do some of our maybe Lenten fasting. If we're doing some extra fasting, we can fast for our friends, for people that we want to uh, help them take the next step in their spiritual life. We can offer hours of work well done for friends by name. And, and I'm offering this hour of work for Jimmy or whatever the case may be. A, a task that we find most unpleasant. And, you know, Scott Hahn, the, the writer Scott Hahn, he likes to say that in, in this way, we're kind of like icebergs. Icebergs can be pretty powerful. One sunk the Titanic, remember? But for every iceberg, only 20% of the iceberg is visible above the water. The, the vast bulk, that most of it is hidden under the surface. And in the same way, most of what we're going to do for our friends, prayer, sacrifice, they're only going to find out about all of these things in eternity. So prayer, sacrifice, and the last thing, of course, is action. And so we, we do need action. And most of what we've got to do is just be available to the Holy Spirit. And, and and the Holy Spirit will often use situations, give us openings where we can talk to people about, about Jesus. And, and we can maybe start those conversations. We can ask open-ended questions. They're really good. We can say, tell me about your faith background. Tell me about your, your spiritual journey. Most people are more than happy to talk about it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but most people, their favorite topic is themselves. So, 
the, the cool thing about that is that when, when they do say, and you're very interested in what they have to say, they'll very often turn it back on you and say, well, what about your spiritual journey? And then that's a perfect opportunity to talk about Christ because you're not forcing it upon them. You're not browbeating them. They're asking you to tell them about it. That's a golden opportunity. And, and I, I think there's just this great, great need that, that people have. And I just want to just encourage you guys to do that take that help people take that next step whatever that might be it might be an invitation to go to confession for the first time in decades it might be helping that person to go back to mass or or learn how to pray whatever the next step is for them just ask god to help you discern what that is and i'm sure that the spirit will give you opportunities to help bring them home to the father that's what we're trying to do. That's why we're here on Relevant Radio, trying to bring Christ to the world through the media. Thanks for joining me for this hour on The Cale Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Stay tuned. Tim Reese coming up in Father Rocky with the Family Rosary Across America. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.